You're listening to Health Matters with Karen Key, getting you one step closer to a clean bill of health. Well, it's our phone in this evening. If you have any questions, 0892102010. And we're talking about ADHD or Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And it's one of the most common childhood disorders and can continue through adolescence and right into adulthood. Symptoms can include things like difficulty staying focused and paying attention, difficulty controlling behavior and hyperactivity. Right, let's get started on let's talking about all of this. Dr. Liebenberg, this something people think possibly it just arrives when you're an adult in some cases, but it hasn't. It's, it's been with you all the time as a child. It's just gone undiagnosed. Yes, it's usually it's, it's present at least since primary school, um, even though it's undiagnosed, especially in girls, it's often undiagnosed. If they're not hyperactive, it's very difficult to catch them in time. So... Often when in adulthood they are faced with situations where they suddenly have to concentrate or take responsibility, especially where executive functioning is concerned, the diagnosis is only made then, but it's a lifelong condition. Dr. Belsham, there was a time when every child who dashed about like normal children do was suddenly classified, oh, they're hyperactive. Um, you know, have, we've, have we gone past that now and actually are diagnosing correctly? Karen, I think that probably depends on the the community in which one is 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 working because certainly in some in some communities there is still the the worrying trend to overdiagnosis and that kind of knee jerk reaction of calling every hyperactive or inattentive child ADHD but certainly in other uh, settings and and more under resourced settings the condition is woefully undiagnosed so it really depends on on where you happen to live and but up until a number of years ago we always only ever heard about ADD now suddenly it's ADHD what is the difference and why suddenly is there this extra little added on bit well the the proper term is in fact ADHD ADD is actually a more a colloquial term but what often people ref- mean when they speak about ADD is the presence of the condition without hyperactivity so the h in in the condition stands for hyperactivity and many individuals, both children and adults, don't have the hyperactivity. So the kind of colloquial term would be ADD, but the proper clinical term would be the inattentive subtype of ADHD. So a lot of it is just uh, about semantics, really. Now, teachers would be the ones I would imagine would be the most obvious people to pick this up more often than not because they would see the child not wanting to sit still in the class and disrupting the lessons and all that sort of thing and how do what is the next step because this is where I, I worry sometimes that there's this overdiagnosis of hyperactivity. Karen yeah that's a very important question because what often happens in practice is that teachers become self-styled diagnosticians and, and the problem with that apart from them not necessarily having the training to to make that call is that it immediately antagonizes parents who are already sensitive and emotional about the, the, the child's difficulties. So the best approach for a teacher, if, if they spot difficulties, is to refer to an appropriate specialist. Um, that can be a problem in itself because there are a limited number of specialists available to, to, to consult and sometimes very long waiting lists to see those specialists. But it needs to be a case of let's refer you to an appropriate doctor and let's see what they say. Dr. Liebenberg, in a lot of cases, people haven't been diagnosed as children or adolescents and now they get to work. And this is where the problem could really start. Yes, it's often at work that, it's, that, they, that it becomes noticeable to them that they're not functioning as well as their colleagues. Maybe they're slower. They're all over the place. They're disorganized. They get fired more easily. They don't get promoted. Um, and often it's because their children are diagnosed that suddenly the light goes up mm. and they realize, you know what's wrong with me? It's the same as my kid. And then they come for help for the first time. How sort of emotional do people, is this something that triggers off emotions and depression and anxiety, that sort of thing, or not really? It can, and there's a comorbidity, a co-occurrence of attention deficit disorder with anxiety disorders and with mood disorders. And, of course, with things like substance abuse also. So there's, there are other things that occur with the ADHD, and they're often triggered by the dysfunction caused by the ADHD. And, of course, the interpersonal problems, marital problems, uh, problems at work, which also causes stress, anxiety, and maybe depression.
I was about to ask you how this impacts on relationships, and it obviously has quite a big impact on relationships. Well, we're looking at Valentine's Day coming yes, up. Yes, coming I can up. Tell you <clears> that <throat> it really creates problems. The biggest thing is the spouse will say, "You don't listen to me. You interrupt me all the time. You don't remember what I told you. You never keep your promises." And um, the spouse feels that they're not important enough. They don't realize the degree of the inattention and the distractibility and that that's the problem, really. Well, if you have any questions about ADHD, please do call in. Normally what we do, what happens when we have phone-ins, everybody saves up the questions and you all call in right at the end and then we can't get to speak to all of you. So if any of you have any questions, please start calling in now. Don't leave it to the end. It's 0892 0892-10-2010. Right, Dr. Belsham, children, let's go back to them now because this is where it should be picked up. And, you know, but often you it's difficult because a lot of the behaviors, you know, people might now suddenly read up something, you know, Dr. Google is our favorite friend, you know, and it's the worst thing ever because you'll go on there and see little Johnny does this and little Johnny's doing that. He must have ADHD. But there are some of the, the, the things that children do with ADHD that are actually quite normal. That's right. And that's why, in, in fact, that's why one needs somebody who's appropriately qualified to make the diagnosis. Because if you look at the symptoms of ADHD, almost every single one of them occurs in the context of normal development at some stage uh, along the way. For example, a three-year-old boy is going to be impulsive. Yes. One needs to take that into perspective when considering whether impulsivity is a pathological symptom in that child. One needs to know what normal development is like. So it, it's not just a simple checklist of, of, of symptoms because if we do that, we're going to end up over-diagnosing many kids. Now, what about medication? Because that's always a sort of, you know, the fly in the ointment here. People are a little sometimes reluctant to put their children on medication. They say it makes them sort of drowsy or woolly-headed or whatever it is, and so they'd rather not. What is your feel about medication for children with ADHD? It really, it really depends on the child. There are very safe and effective medications, uh, but of course they need to be chosen for the correct child, and one needs to always monitor for side effects. Yes, there are certain kids who can get a subduing effect on the, the typically used ADHD medications, but that's by no means the rule and often has to do with the dosage being too high. So, you know, with appropriate monitoring, it's usually possible to find a, a solution, an optimal solution for a child who does in fact need medication. So it, it's about using the medication for the right child in the right context. Before we go any further, we have our first call, Lee in Durban. Lee, good evening. Hello. Hello, how can we help you, Lee? Hi, yes. Um, I would just like to ask a series of very brief questions and then I'll just listen on the radio. Okay. Um, the first thing is, I'd just like to know, are many psychiatric disorders in adults erroneously diagnosed in the place of ADHD? And I would like to know, are adult ADHD sufferers often associated with personality disorders, like the dramatic personality disorder type? And... Thirdly, I'd like to know, is there a role for antipsychotics and beta blockers in adult sufferers? And lastly, what is the dietary role of fatty acids and also the reduction of exposure to food colouring? I'll listen on the radio. Thank you. Okay, Lee, thank you. Right, okay, I'm sort of be making quick notes here. Um, the misdiagnosis of, of a psychiatric disorder when it should be diagnosed as ADHD in an adult. Yes, that happens uh, quite often, I think, especially if you're looking at things like bipolar disorder, some anxiety disorders, even some personality disorders. So you've got to take a very good history starting in childhood because the difference, if I can summarize it briefly, would probably be the chronicity mm. of the attention deficit disorder as opposed to episodic illnesses or illnesses with a more adult onset. But it takes careful history taking and, and quite a lot of diagnostic skill to figure out which one is which. And the second question was about whether this could be triggering personality disorders. Uh, I think it doesn't trigger a personality disorder. You associated know, people, with, possibly. It can be associated with per some personality disorders. Um, I, I'm just very careful with making a diagnosis of personality disorder when you have other current diagnoses running because how do you judge someone's personality if they're actually suffering from anxiety depression or very bad ADD and they're suffering in other ways I'd be careful in just assuming a personality disorder and then his next one was about beta blockers whether that might help it, it 
doesn't help for ADHD, obviously. Mm. It doesn't make a difference. It does help for the symptoms of anxiety sometimes. So if people have to do presentations and they're anxious, it can help. It doesn't help for ADHD. And then the dietary role of fatty acids, he was asking about that, removing those. Look, we've got some evidence that fatty acids are helpful in brain function. But it's obviously a supplement. It's a supplementary thing. It's not going to treat anything. But it is... Um, proven in some cases to be of use in cases like depression good for the brain basically okay but this is please I, I, I stress this all the time and a lot of my guests on my shows often stress please do not go and consult Dr. Google because honestly you'll be you know well I mean if I do it sometimes I've got every condition under the sun by the time I've switched the computer off so don't do that because don't self-diagnose it's possibly the worst thing you could possibly do right if you have a question 0892 10 2010 Kelvin in Johannesburg good evening Hi, good evening, ma'am. Hello. I'd like to uh, just find out something about my 11-year-old son. Okay. Um, he's been diagnosed with AD, ADT and then later on ADHD at, at a very young age, I think around five, five or six years. And um, we've seen a specialist in, in Melrose. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention the name. No, it's fine. You can just say it's a specialist. That's fine. Yeah, and, um, you know, he, he has put my son on, on quite a bit of medication. You know, it was uh, a heavy dose of uh, Concerta. I think it was like 54 milligrams of Concerta. And he, he actually um, got him to be admitted at, at his clinic you know, for, for a two-week period. And... During that two-week period, I actually wanted to also find out what it is all about because he was very young. I also went through the very same thing he did, and I also was on the very same medication he was just to feel what it was like as well. And, uh, you know, it made me feel sick. It made me feel horrible. It made me... I, I can't even describe it until I like, got off the medication in six months. But my son is still on that medication, but, you know, he cut the dosage and he's, you know stopped with all the other medication, you know, he had a sleeping pill and something to calm him down and all this. But, you know, when you look at my son, he, when he's on the medication, he's like just someone totally different. He's not the same person. But this is what we were talking about earlier, is about the medication possibly not being the correct medication. Dr. Belsham? Kelvin, thanks for your call. I think well, the first thing one needs to say is that, um, you know, with any, with any medical intervention... As a, as a parent of a minor child, you have a right to negotiate and talk to the diagnosing and treating specialist, and, and that's your prerogative. So, you know, I always say to uh, families who, who come to see me that I want to know your feedback, and, I'll, you know, you don't know for sure how each child is going to react to whatever medication you might prescribe. And it's very important that as professionals that we listen to our patients, the children themselves, as well as their parents, and, and that includes both parents, because sometimes children can show up quite differently um, to, to, to either parent, especially in the separation or divorce situation. So it's about listening to the feedback, and I think with any medication, it's a trial, and there needs to be uh, some constructive engagement between you as the, as the, the patient and the patient's family and the doctor and 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 there needs to be a kind of an ongoing collaborative relationship going forward so if that hasn't happened then i would urge you to just you, you know take that forward and make sure that that does happen kelvin am i correct in assuming that this, your child has been on this medication now for six years yes that's correct and it's uh, been the we, same the whole way through he's been having this no no no. Oh. no we actually we actually changed uh, we took him to a neuro specialist you know to have him checked up there and because what really happened is he was in grade grade one at a private school in Mafeking, Northwest Province, and uh, the school really didn't pick it up. Up until one day, I I'm actually self-employed. I I decided, you know what, I I normally pick them up at one, so I said, let me just go and wait a bit early outside their school office to pick him up and drop him off at home. And when I get to the school, he's standing outside the school and. You know, I called him to the car and he didn't want to come. He's all scared, you know, breaking his knuckles. When I get to the to the class to ask him what's happening, you know, the teacher said, no, he was very disruptive in the class and, you know, quite rude to me. So I just, you know, lost it there and that's when I took him out, 
moved from Mafeking because there was no uh, special school or special needs school or something to assist my child where they have him on a special program according to what that teacher say. And this was like six months after the you know, they started school. That's when I came to know without them even informing me of these things. You know, I also think teachers and, and schools need to also you know, learn about these, the ADHD and ADD in kids. I was about to say that. I was about to ask uh, Dr. Belsham whether or not there is some sort of a program that actually teaches the teachers. Karen, there are many initiatives. Unfortunately, they're they're somewhat sporadic in terms of how you're going to access them or even hear about them. But I know I've been involved, and I think Dr. Liebenberg's also been involved in some, some teaching initiatives to to speak to schools to speak to educators so so yes it certainly is uh is a move which is which is gaining momentum but there probably isn't a lot of education that that still needs to be done in that area so what is kelvin's situation now he says they have changed the medication but it still doesn't seem to be agreeing with his son and things don't seem kelvin am i correct in thinking things aren't really getting all that much better you know it it gets to a stage where it comes okay you see a change in him and then i don't know if it's the environment because we also changed the school because you're now in Gauteng the private schools are taking us for a ride saying that our kids are you know special needs they need this therapy and that therapy and you know it was costing me almost 20,000 a month on school fees with therapies and all of these things in in Gauteng after moving from there and then we came to find out that look this school is actually not suitable for him we took him to another private homeschooling of which you know for the past uh, four months or so is there's a dramatic change in him so i also think it's the schools that play a massive role in the in in the in kids like this as well dr belsham i'm just a bit concerned with what kelvin is saying that the schools keep telling him the child is a special needs child i mean are, are children with adhd classified as special needs not necessarily but some of them are and I, and I think kelvin kelvin's story perhaps raises a very important point here is that many times children who present with behavioral problems including inattentiveness and hyperactivity don't in fact have primarily adhd but they but have some other kind of problem. And that problem could be some kind of a learning problem, for example. It could be in another emotional problem. But sometimes when the medication doesn't work, we have to ask the question, are we barking up the wrong tree? And uh, I'm not necessarily saying this is the case with uh, Calvin's child, but it, it certainly happened in my practice a lot that what we really have to do is look at the learning needs of that child and consider where they're best placed, which, which environment is best for the child. Because the child's environment has a, has a whole lot to do with how they function, firstly at home, but secondly at school. I mean, the analogy is like an adult being in a job that they're unqualified for. It's, it's somewhere they have to go every day, but they find it incredibly stressful. And the same for a child who's in the wrong kind of school environment. And so that would be a very important consideration for any child in whom typically used ADHD medicine doesn't seem to work. We've got to start perhaps digging a bit deeper. Well, it seems like Kelvin's found the right place. Kelvin, you say he's quite settled now, the homeschooling thing. Maybe that was what he needed was a smaller group and possibly more individual attention, and it seems to be working. You know, to to think the the, the First private school in Kharteng was a small group. He had 18 the class. Then they started to get growing to 10, 12, 15, 16. Then it was a bit too much for him, I think. And when we moved him out to a smaller class, now I think it's about six in this, uh, in this private school, homeschooling, where they don't have to use uniform and all this. And it's like in his environment where, you know, he's able to now open himself. And according to the principal and the teacher at the school, they said to me, they said to us that, you know what, this, this, this little kid has been held back. He hasn't been, because of the school he was in, they were holding knowledge away from him. So now with him, he needs to work at a rapid pace so that he can, you know, like, not be distracted. Now because of these distractions that he had and where they were slowing him down, you know, he, he, he was disruptive. Well, you seem oh. like you've, you've done the right thing, Kelvin, and, and it's all, all best wishes to you, and hopefully that it continues and that your son is very happy where he is. 
And you, you're one of those parents, I really enjoy speaking to parents like you who actually, you keep on going. You don't just say, oh, well, you know, I can't, this is it now. The school must just get on with it. You've actually gone out of your way to make sure that your child is in the correct environment for him. And that's fantastic. I wish there were lo- lots more parents like you out there. Yeah, it's, it's actually my wife who has done all this. And because of her moving to Gauteng, I decided to move. So I now commute every week to Mafeking, wow. like one, two, three days in the week, just to, uh, we can't just, separate the family it might affect my little boy again absolutely well you're doing the right thing Kelvin I think he sounds very settled now so let's hope it continues thanks so much for calling Okay, thank you. Thanks a lot, Kelvin. Good night to you. If you have any questions, 0892 10 2010. Right, Kafilwe in Johannesburg, good evening. Hi, Karen, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? You know, it's a very sad story. I mean, I have a, uh, someone that I know whose child was diagnosed and was put on all these funny drugs. Now her child is at Hilton, you know, some of these private schools in the Fenton area, and actually there's one particular one, but I will not name it. No, please don't. They are very shameful. I mean, they have they will take your child to your, you know, from physiotherapist to your what what therapist. You know, it's actually a money making school. It's it's very sad. I mean, your child. And then they call you and say, uh, do you have problems at home? There is one particular school that's got branches all over Houting. It is very notorious. Your child does something, he's got ADDH. Your child does something, do you have family problems? And it is very sad that parents have to be paying money for every therapist, physiotherapist, what, 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 what. Well, it's a money-making scheme. You know, I just want to say to Kelvin, I'm happy that it's a pity I was just trying to get through to a parent whose child went through that. Her child now is at Hilton doing very well after being milked by the school in Fenton for years. Yeah, I think we were talking about this a little bit earlier, Kafilwe, about misdiagnosis and possibly teachers it's not, not being... No, but teachers just not really being aware no, of what it no, is. No, it's not misdiagnosis. It's making money out of the parent. And that particular school has got branches all over here. It milks parents like you can't believe. Your child does something, you've got problems at home. Your child does something, you've got ADDH. Now, but anyway... I just, it's a pity I couldn't get through to the parent because I wanted to, to get through to your producer to to give her the parent to say, finally, what did she do? I mean, a child who was diagnosed with all sorts of ADDH, all those funny things, is at Hilton is doing very well. That's fantastic news, though. Mm. Um, yeah, because we're, we're, thank you very much for calling in. Thanks a lot mm. for the call. Okay. Thanks so much. Good night to you. Um, is, is this a problem that you see around the country, Dr. Belsham and Dr. Liebenberg, that uh, schools are insisting on all sorts of th- unnecessary therapies, possibly? Look, I... I, I it's a I, difficult I, thing to comment y- on. Yeah, it is. And I guess, you know, it's difficult to generalize with something mm. like that. But I know many occupational therapists and physiotherapists and speech therapists who have a great deal of respect for and they do excellent work. And sometimes the work they do is more important than the work I do or more important than the medication that the the child might happen to be on. But I guess with any service, with any service industry, there is the potential of over-servicing. But again, I think the prerogative is with the service user. Um, in, In the case of a minor child, it would need to be the parents of that minor child to engage with the therapist and to understand what are the goals of therapy, what are the desired outcomes, and to monitor it. each step of the way to to hold the therapist accountable. I think that's how the service industry should work. If it doesn't, then I guess there are problems inherent in 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 the particular system. But but that's how it should work. And I don't think we must throw the baby out with the bathwater. No, water. absolutely not. Now, Dr. Liebenberg, you are the convener of the ADHD South African Special Interest Group. There's also an attention deficit and hyperactivity support group of South Africa as well. And yet I've had a call now. Who, the caller doesn't want to come on air, but the caller's note says that he, I'm not sure if it's he or she, believes that ADHD is an invented ailment to make money for psychiatrists. 
I mean, there's enough, enough people out there with ADHD who I'm sure wouldn't agree with that. I don't think it's an invented ailment. No. I think it's been around probably as long as mankind's been around. There's better awareness, and I think we've got treatment available, which we didn't always have. And if, if you know people who have ADHD, whether it's children or adults, the way they respond to treatment is actually magical. That's the word that they use. It changes their lives for the better. And, you know, whether we see somebody with an anxiety disorder or somebody with a mood disorder, it's the same <laughs> income for us. You know, we don't Absolutely. make more money by diagnosing or seeing somebody with ADHD. We're certainly not involved with any medicine sales or get money from selling medication. So, and, and we actually, I hope, people will agree with me here we're quite holistic in our approach we don't just give medication we do advise as as regarding general health diet exercise structure in the home um, referring to other professionals like psychologists life coaches people who specifically deal with ADHD so it's a pretty holistic approach you know it's it's really if it's diagnosed appropriately and treated appropriately it's it's not a money-making scheme for everybody it really does help people good well thank you for that now we've hopefully cleared that up for those who were worrying about that but if you have any questions 0892 10 2010 Sammy in Impumalanga good evening good evening how are you very well and you I'm um, great, thanks, and good evening to your guests. Good evening, Sammy. Hi, Sammy. Yes. Yeah, you know, as, as I was listening, and I, I've always heard about ADHD, but then maybe I, I didn't really look at it further. For myself, I'm one person who's always forgetful. And then, at sometimes I'm impatient, you know, I, I, I lose interest in things that I do, and then I, I'll do something quickly, and then from there, I want to do something else. And... I don't know if I've got ADHD or is it really something, a different problem or not? Dr. Liebenberg, are these possible symptoms or...? They're possible symptoms, clearly. The, the main, the core feature of ADHD is attentional problems. So people battle to focus attention, which means they procrastinate, they can't sit down and start something. If and when they start, they battle to finish that project as soon yes. as it becomes but mundane or trivial or boring or repetitive they don't really want to carry on doing it they're very distractible internally and externally distractible um, and so we can go on certainly the impatience there's no delaying gratification the impulsivity um, in, in adults often the hyperactivity shows in the fact that they can be workaholics or they take part in extreme sports they drive too fast they quite a lot of risk-taking behavior in adults with ADHD you know when a child has those symptoms, they're controlled by teachers and by parents and by certain things surrounding them. And adults got a car, they've got credit cards, they can get oh, up to all sorts of very risky things. But you can't make the diagnosis on a few scattered symptoms. You need a proper evaluation, proper history taking, and then the correct diagnosis. So Sammy, you, if, you, if you're wanting to find out about this, you need to go and speak to somebody who deals with ADHD just to speak to them to see whether this is possibly what you have or maybe it's just the way you are. But then, you know, all the things that she has mentioned, really like driving fast, you know, and then I, I interrupt people very easily because of, I, I always want to talk. And then when the person is talking, I'm, I'm already thinking about what I need to talk about, you know, how to, how to and I interrupt people. But then... Is it possible that it can, it can affect, you know, it can go to your children as, as something that is genetically transferred? Because my son also is starting the same thing. He's becoming forgetful. That's why I'm, I'm saying as you speak, then I'm starting to see some trend and the things that you have mentioned as the symptoms are coming out. And I'm trying to, and I associate all those things with what we have already said. Dr. But maybe you're right, I must go and see someone just to see if this is not really ADA. ADHD. Okay, Sammy, I just want to ask Dr. Belsham, hereditary? Yes, indeed. It's in fact, I think Dr. Liebenberg mentioned it earlier that often these days how adults come to realize their condition is when their children get referred and they recognize exactly the same symptoms in themselves. So yes, it's a highly genetic condition, one of the most genetic conditions in all of medicine. So it's very common to have first-degree family relatives who, 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 who both or, or more than one have the condition. So, Sammy, maybe you and your son should go off together. Yeah, but then at the age of 40, is it still <laughs> curable or not? 
It's treatable, certainly, Sammy. I mean, it, I don't think it's really a curable condition as such, but you, when you take the, if and when you are diagnosed and you do take mm-hmm. the correct medication, it's very treatable. It can make a huge difference to your functioning. As you well, said, okay, no. Dr. Liebenberg said earlier that people who have been correctly diagnosed and who have been put on the correct medication have said it's been like a miracle. Yeah. But then do we have anyone around Pumalanga that I can consult? I'm not sure about Mpumalanga. I know they are visiting psychiatrists who go there from Pretoria and one from Joburg who sometimes goes there. So if you find out, you will be able to get a referral. Or if you speak to the South African Depression and Anxiety Group, they've actually got a special support line for ADHD and they'll be able to give you numbers and contact details. Sammy, I'm going to put you back to the producer. Have you got an email address? Yes, I've got an email address. Okay, I'm going to put you back to the producer. Give him your email address and I will send you those contact details for the South African Depression and Anxiety Group's um, ADHD helpline. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, Sammy, good luck to you. Thanks for the call. Bye-bye. Thank you for the help. Thank you. pleasure. Bye-bye. Right, off to Peter in Cape Town. Peter, good evening. Hello, Peter. Is Peter not with us? Oh, Peter was with us. Now he seems to have disappeared. Right. Okay, well, we'll get Peter back in a moment. Right. Talking about adolescence, um, Chilby spoke to Sammy there, was his young son and himself. What about in the middle, adolescence? I mean, that is really a tumultuous hormonal time as it is. And now you have this added benefit, if you like, of ADHD and there's studying and there's, you know, all these other things that are are happening in your life. How difficult is it to deal with a child, at at least with that, and as a child yourself or young person yourself? Karen, yes, adolescence throws its own challenges into the works at the best of times. Um, but as with any other stage of life, if the condition is optimally controlled, then there's no reason why that teenager can't live a normal teenage life, including academically and socially. But I think the importance comes in that an adolescent starts to perhaps have the same risks as an adult might have in terms of their sexuality, in terms of having a a bit more scope to get into more trouble. So when it comes to impulsivity, the tendency to do or say things without thinking first of the consequences, which is a symptom of ADHD, uh, adolescents can get into a whole lot more trouble. So it is a condition that has to be watched very carefully at that stage. And it's also a condition certainly in, in, in girls where the hormonal changes of adolescence can aggravate the, the ADHD symptoms. And it's often when, when girls are first diagnosed, because often they're, they're not as hyperactive and troublesome in their more formative years. So you often find girls coming to treatment and, and diagnosis for the first time when they, when they become teenagers. Right, we have another call on the line. Monica in Isapingo, good evening. Evening, how are you? Very well and you. Okay. This is my question, right? Firstly, I am my, I'm, a, I'm the guardian of my nephew. He's in grade R. Now, ever since I took him to school, he's having a fear to go to school. He, he's crying, he's throwing tantrums, and he, he's not adapting. I've taken him to a psychologist. Now, they gave me certain rules to implement. I've taken the rules to school, but they're not in, implementing it. And they, and they did this. They, when the child was crying, I was bringing him. And the teachers got together, and, and they pulled him. They forcefully took him back in class, dragged him, and in, in, then closed the door. And then now he got so angry that he became a little bit violent. He, he took the desk and all and threw it. And they just let him cry and cry and cry. Now, how much can I keep scolding the child and sending him to school? He, now he is losing weight. He is dropping hair. And in school, he's just sitting quiet. At home, he will do his work, but in school, he's like blanking out. I really don't know what to do. Have you, has he been diagnosed with ADHD already, Monica? No, I... I, the, 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 oh, the oh, I see. Okay, now I thought they, they'd said here that you're, you have a relative that has ADHD. No, no. Okay. Dr. Belsham, any suggestions? So I think it's very important to, to take a step back from a situation like this. What we're really dealing with is something called school refusal or school phobia. Mm-hmm. Which, which is a, a very important, not really diagnosis, but, but condition in, in child psychiatry. There are, in fact, a number of diagnoses which can be responsible for school refusal. And yes, one of them is ADHD, but it, it's actually not the most important one. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be regarded this as some kind of an anxiety disorder. 
Mm-hmm. Um, for example, there's a condition called social phobia or social anxiety disorder where kids and adults with the condition are, are very fearful of scrutiny or embarrassment in social situations. So going out to school would be a highly stressful and, and fear-provoking situation for them. Don't forget also, as I mentioned earlier, some children have learning difficulties. Mm-hmm. And going to school is kind of like torture for them because they are being exposed to their difficulties all the time and, and, and kind of comparing themselves with their peers and realizing they can't do what their peers can do is highly stressful. So I think in a situation like that, one of the first things I would recommend, and and perhaps it has already been done, is is some kind of a psychological or psychoeducational assessment to try and understand what the actual educational and, and cognitive profile of the child is. Because one of the first things we have to think about there is is the child in the correct school for that child? And does that have to be re-looked at? Okay, okay Monica, does that help you, some of those points? Yeah, thank you so much. Well, good luck with that, Sham. It's, it must be awful. Yes, little, yes. little one, yeah, Sham. Okay. Well, I, I hope you can get that sorted out. All right, Thanks thank for you. the call. Thanks, Monica. Good Thanks night to you. We've got about four, just short of 20 minutes left. 0892-10-2010. 0892-10-2010. Lorraine in East London, good evening. Good evening, Karen. Thanks for taking my call. It's a pleasure. How can we um, help? Yeah, my I have a, a two grandsons, um, aged five and six and a half, and the five-year-old has been diagnosed with ADHD and is on um, Risperdal, which is um, a, a, one of the me- medications that was prescribed. Um, now, the, the older child is, is, is the older child affected in any way at all by just by having a younger brother who has quite a, um, a um, you know, a, a, probably a fairly high degree of ADHD. In what regard are you, are you Lorraine? Is, um, is the little one getting he, more attention? Be, yeah, um, I think there's quite a bit of manipulation sometimes, and the, old, the older one might just be affected, it seems, sometimes. But, um, Dr. yeah. Bonson? Absolutely. I think with, with any of these conditions, they, yeah. they, they create all kinds of um, behavioral and parenting difficulties. Um, certainly without treatment, but even with treatment. Yeah. And uh, those uh, those uh, five and six and a half, it's a fairly close yes. a- age gap yeah. as well, isn't it? So yeah. that, that, that can create its own issues at the best of times. Absolutely. So, yes. So, so, yes, I mean, I, th- I think okay. um, having a sibling and having a sibling mm-hmm. with behavioral Can't difficulties easy, no. it can, can create its own problems. And, yeah. and then when there's a diagnosis on top of that, but I think with the yeah. correct treatment, and let's not forget the, yeah. the correct treatment is not just medication. It's the, yes. it's the correct parenting approach. Yes, and, and I, I know, think no. And one of the things that is of concern to me is that, um, you know, one of the parents is kind of almost in denial about the fact that um, there is a problem. And, um, you know, kind of um, looks down on the fact that medication is needed and you know and it makes it very much harder for 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 um you know to cope i think i think that's a very important point because yeah parents can be quite um you know quite dogged in their ideas and they don't want to admit to any problems and that's a hard thing to admit isn't it huge yes very hard but if you think about it the little five-year-old you know is is is, a, is such a tiny little helpless individual, <laughs> you know, um, anything to, to help that child, you know, yeah. surely. You sometimes find, though, when one child in a family is sick, though, a lot of attention gets put onto that child, and the other children mm-hmm. possibly play up because they're yeah. not getting the same amount of attention okay. as well. You know, there's also that mm-hmm. possibility. Mm-hmm. And then diet, Corin, um there's such a bout of this problem these days that it's it's, quite unbelievable to think how many uh, children are being affected by this problem and is sugar and all the all the sort of um, what do you call those things they put into all the foods these days the preservatives uh, yeah are those really as bad as as what they may being made out well, of let, let's ask dr belsham he's Thank the, ex, so he's the expert Karen. here dr right. belsham 
Um, the, the short answer is no. It doesn't. Dietary factors don't cause ADHD, and and nor does dietary manipulation solve ADHD. But I, I think again, one needs to have perspective here. There's certainly several kids with this condition who are clearly aggravated by having uh, too much sugar and, and too many preservatives in their diet. So common sense needs to prevail here with every child, whether they've got ADHD or not, they need a balanced diet and they need a good breakfast in particular. And so and so one needs to be just, uh, just sensible about uh, a, a child's eating habits whether they've got the condition or not but you know it's 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 misleading to claim that dietary factors cause ADHD and and certainly that they can that they can be a, an effective treatment on their own for ADHD I does that answer your question Lorraine um yeah it does thank you so much Karen I just wanted to ask quickly about Risperdal is that a um what kind of a drug is that well, I hope you're sitting down because it's actually an antipsychotic. Um, okay. But let's just put that again in perspective. I, I was told that um, because he's still so young, they won't think they won't consider Ritalin until he's about seven. And this was an alternative, apparently a better alternative. Risperdal, although it's classified as an antipsychotic, is used for children in much lower doses for a whole lot of conditions that have nothing to do with psychosis um, but it is not a mainline treatment for ADHD in the sense that it's not going to improve the child's concentration span what it can do is help with associated symptoms of the condition including irritability, defiance, um, impulsivity to an extent which are all associated symptoms of the condition um, but um, and it's probably also fair to say that in young children, in preschool children, there is a higher incidence of side effects on the typical ADHD medicines, such as Ritalin or Concerta or Stratera. So one can understand that kind of thinking. But Risperdal isn't a isn't a first line treatment for the specific symptoms of ADHD. Yeah, and do they usually wait until the child is about? before they consider Ritalin because it's quite a strong, um, I believe it's quite a strong remedy for it. Uh, not necessarily. Sometimes a little bit younger. Sometimes even in the preschool age group one would, one would use a medication like Ritalin. It's just that there has to be very careful monitoring because there is a higher incidence of side effects. And one would use really low dosages to uh, to just uh, uh, minimize the risk of those side effects. So there's no absolute hard and fast rule, but the general principle is that the the younger the child, uh, the, the more likely they are to have uh, side effects on stimulant medications, including Ritalin. Oh, well, thank you so much. You've been most helpful. I really appreciate that. Well, thanks, Lorraine, and good luck to you. Thank you <clears throat> thanks so much. Bye-bye now. Right, off to Cape Town. Jeanette, good evening. Hello. Hello, Jeanette. How can we help you? Well, you know, I've been listening with great interest this evening, and I must say, I'm quite horrified at what I'm hearing. I really feel that, um, you know, as as humans, we all have vastly different personalities, and we have people who are shy, right across the spectrum to people who are completely outgoing and who are the clowns. Now, you have some children who may be a little bit difficult, and then you have, you know, all, all kinds of different personalities. It's so disappointing that um, this label is placed on children. And I think that these children who have carried this label, and they'll carry it throughout their lives, they are being um, disadvantaged by this. I'm positive that all these children need, apart from these horrific drugs that I hear about all the time, they need constant stimulation because often these children have, they've got a high intellect, they're easily bored, they need to be stimulated, um, they need very good normal diets. We're all on the completely wrong diet. 
Um, every, anything you buy in the shop, you shouldn't be eating. You should be picking your food from your garden. Um, they don't have any exercise. They're sitting in front of the TV. They're sitting in the class. It's too boring for words. Jeanette, I'm going to ask Dr. Belsham and Dr. Liebenberg to answer your questions Thank in a moment. You. But just, just give me one second before we get to that. Benedict in Zastron, you called in a moment ago, but you left the wrong number, so we can't get back to you. So, Benedict, if you're still listening, please do call in again and uh, give us the correct number. Right, now, Dr. Belsham and Dr. Liebenberg, would you like to respond to Jeanette's comments? May I, Corin, just uh, take sort of start off there? And I think it's a very important comment, and I think it's a sentiment which is shared by many people. And I think it raises some some very important questions. And and the one is the spectrum of normality. As Jeanette correctly points out, um, human temperament exists on a spectrum. You have very shy people, you have very extroverted people, you have people who who are naturally more hyperactive and people who are naturally less hyperactive. But even though there may be that spectrum, at some point along the way, at the extreme ends of the spectrum, you have something called disorder. And disorder is where those symptoms, which perhaps in a milder form will just be accepted as somebody's personality type, actually start to cause suffering and impairment for that person. And if you speak to a parent of a severely impaired child with ADHD, I dare say if you speak to the child themselves, they will tell you that the labeling they get from being ostracized by their peers, from being kicked out of class, from being given hiding after hiding because of their impulse control, is actually worse than the label of a properly assigned medical diagnosis. That's my first point. Perhaps Dr. Liebenberg has something to add to that. Well, I think it's important to understand that people come to us for help because they are in distress. We don't ask people to come. They come to us because they're battling. My wife wants to leave me. I'm drinking too much. My boss wants to fire me. I've got 20 speeding tickets against my name. I'm a gambling addict. I am in distress and my life is going south very quickly. And if you help that person, if they're correctly diagnosed and correctly treated, they can turn their lives around. It's not a matter of labeling somebody and making their lives more difficult. It's a question of making the correct medical diagnosis and actually making their lives much easier. I was actually reading somewhere, um, and, um, somebody who was an adult who was diagnosed with ADHD said, at, was in this co- comment that I was reading, said, thank goodness somebody finally diagnosed me. At least now I know what it is that I, you know, and I can do something about it. You know, it's almost a sense of relief when you finally find out what it is. You're not going crazy. Absolutely, Karen. I'd like to just quickly mention something. I heard an excellent lecture at a conference recently by a psychologist, and he spoke about the difference between excuses and explanations. And I think if it's handled the correct way by both the diagnosing uh, professional and, and the patient themselves, it's, it's, it can be framed and used as an explanation. And that's empowering because from there it's a departure point to making your life better and more productive. But of course the other side, if it's used as an excuse for behavior, then it, 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 it's, it's counterproductive for, for that person. Thank you so much for the explanations and I fully agree specifically when one is talking about adults because there are adults whose lives are out of control and they definitely do need assistance. Um, However, when it comes to children, I have personal experience where my daughter was, I was basically told when she was born that she would definitely be a diabetic because of certain um, uh, characteristics in her her, her build and uh, later on in life I was told that she was a troublemaker and then she was apparently um, uh, suffering from bipolar uh, and, and you know uh, everything to the contrary she's a fabulous well achieved achieving well adjusted person 25 years old and and none of those things actually manifested That's but great. I took the care of actually focusing 
on those things, educating myself, trying to make sure that she got all of the things I spoke about earlier. And I think that children are possibly just given a label without enough time spent on them and enough effort put into them before that. I do feel that drugs are really, really devastating and should not just be applied willy nilly. I don't I don't um, think they do that though, Jeanette. I don't think they that, are. But I'm going to have to, I'm going to but have anyway, to say thank you I'd because like I've got to, one more caller to get on and we've literally got three minutes left of the show. So if you don't good. mind, I'm going to say thank you so much thank you. for your Goodbye. call. Thanks. Good night to you. Dudu in East London, good evening. Hello. Hello. Hi, Karen. Hi, Judy. If you can be very brief, because we've got only a few minutes left. Yes, just only one question. Okay. Uh, I've got uh, a son. My son is 26 years, and he is an adult onset ADHD. Okay, so adult, yes, okay. Yeah, but he, he, he cannot take retaliation because it causes so much anxiety. He's also got anxiety disorders. What I want to know, is there anything else, because he's struggling at work. Do you what w- I want to know, is there anything else that doesn't cause anxiety? Okay, so I don't know if you're Dr. Belsham, Dr. Liebenberg, if you, if Dr. Liebenberg, if you got this, her son is 26, yes. adult ADHD, Ritalin is making him anxious. We've literally got a minute and a half. What yes. can, I would suggest going to speak to the doctor to, to change it, but what would you recommend? Well, certainly, first of all, you need to treat the anxiety. That's the first thing to do is treat the anxiety. So if he needs different medication for that, should be done, but you do have other options. One of them is called atomoxetine, which doesn't cause the anxiety. But if you treat the anxiety efficiently, he could probably still use Ritalin. Okay, Dudu, so he can actually go and speak to the doctor and just ask him to to treat the anxiety, and then maybe he could then take that medication and the Ritalin, and he should be fine. He's being treated for anxiety. Oh, he is being treated for anxiety. Yeah, but he, he just that he, he is not going to take return anymore because it, it makes him very anxious. I think maybe before he stops taking it, I don't know what Dr. Liebenberg says, I think, but I think before he stops taking his medication, Dudu, he should go and speak to his doctor. No, yeah. he told the doctor that he is, doesn't want to take it anymore. And what did the doctor say? Hey, you know this... My son can be very stubborn. Okay. But I think, Dudu, I'm sorry, we've literally run out of time, but I think he should go. Maybe maybe go for a second opinion as another doctor. He's quite entitled to do that. So if he's not happy where he is, he's quite entitled to go for a second opinion. Maybe he should do that and go and speak to another doctor and just see what they have to say. But thank you very much for the call. I'm so sorry we've run out of time completely. And my thanks once again this evening to psychiatrists, Dr. Reiki Liebenberg and Dr. Brendan Belsham. And they've been my guests on tonight's edition of Health Matters. Dr. Liebenberg and Dr. Belsham, thank you so very much indeed for your time this evening. Thank you, Karen. Thanks thank for inviting you, us. Thank well, you if very you'd, much. If you'd like any further information on ADHD, they can take a look at the website of the Attention Deficit and Hyperactivity Support Group of South Africa. It's Adhasa, A-D-H-A-S-A dot C-O dot Z-A. And you can also take a look at the ADHD Facebook page. If you have any questions about something you've heard tonight, you can email me, healthmatters at safm.co.za. That's it for Health Matters for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with Time to Travel. It's time now for some nighttime music with Stephen Kirker. Hello, Stephen.